It's a beautiful, fantastic day in the world of tennis, and this is the last episode before we hit triple digits, baby. Mark Figueroa, how are you feeling today? Good, getting ready to talk about this content. Excited. Are we going to get to say Alcaraz at all today? Most likely not. Ah, too bad, too bad. Well, uh, with all that being said, this is episode 99 of the Around the Post podcast. It's your boy Jay. And as I just introduced the legendary Mark Figueroa with some... Uh, Take a bow. Some very... Uh, he's he's hyped it up a little bit to me today, so I'm a little excited. I try not to read the, the cliff notes for this episode too closely because I want to be a little surprised. So I'm not even going to look at anything today. I'm just reacting organically. Um... Where are we starting? Okay, we're going to start with uh, Iga. Is she unstoppable? Yes. So, so uh, <laughs> she wins another title. She beat Ange Jabor in the final. Now Ange Jabor is at a career high rating as well. So congrats to her, although she didn't win. But Iga is, uh, has the longest winning streak of consecutive games of 28. Uh, in 2013, Serena Williams had 34 consecutive wins. Oof. So... What are your thoughts? Do you think that Iga's going to take it all at the French Open? Um, I hope she does. I think she will. And the only thing stopping her at this point, in my opinion, is her health. So she seems to be healthy. She seems to be very health-minded as well. I'm in high spirits for her and her path this year. I assume this could be one of the best years in women's tennis ever if she can continue to be healthy and do this all year. Now, uh, consecutive WTA title since 2000. You had Venus with six, Justine Ennen with six, uh, Serena with five, and Ego with five. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, if she wins the French Open, she'll have six. Yeah, uh, incredible. Possible? Oh, very, very possible. She's my favorite for the French. And you know what's funny is my second and third favorites are not even close as far as being favored. I had to really think on who I thought could compete with her. Yeah, uh, Halep. Uh, yeah. Halep's one. Uh, Ange Jabour maybe mm. and other than that I'm not seeing anybody else that has done well on clay this season Yeah. so the, those are the top three in my opinion who mm. knows though With uh, somebody could come out of the blue yeah which last year we saw it happen two or three times right. where athletes came out the blue So exactly so we're going to move on to a little bit of Svitolina news her and Gael Monfils announced that they're having a baby now wow. Svitolina has not played since the whole Ukraine-Russia incident, she said that she was not going to play anybody from Russia or Belarus. Mm-hmm. So she decided to have a baby. So congratulations to them. What are your thoughts? Uh, that's great to hear. I like them as a couple. I like um, I like Gelman Fee. And the real question is, who do you think is going to be going on leave longer? The serious athlete or the more laid-back athlete? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, maybe she'll take a little time off after the baby to recover. But I think Monfi's going to be on daddy duty for a couple months. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, so congratulations to them. Now, uh, maybe this will change your mind. We're going to talk about Monfils. Okay. Uh, he has a foot problem. So uh, he will not compete at the French Open. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, before I say that, um, Berrettini is still injury as well. He has an injury as well. So he will not be at the French Open, but what are your thoughts on Monfils? Uh, it's unfortunate. As we both know, he is a Frenchman. Yes. And this is the French Open. And he's he's one of those not-so-dark, dark courses. Um, he's that player that when he's on fire, you do agree that he can take out anyone. 
but it's also can he maintain that level for five straight sets? Can he maintain that level for two full weeks? There's a lot of question marks around Monfi when he's on the tour, so it's unfortunate. I love to see him in any draw. I think he's always a factor and he's a great player. Yes, I agree. Uh, he's going to be missed, especially in France. Uh, he's playing really well right now. He can probably get uh, deeper than normal at the French Open, so it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Moving on, we're going to talk about Osaka now. Uh, she is starting her own sports agency. Uh, she broke with. I thought you were going to say she was playing good tennis or something. No, no. <laughs> she broke with IMG and is opening her own sports agency called Evolve. Interesting. Now, here's the thing that made it extremely interesting. Kyrie Irving, uh, who's uh, he's been uh, he's been the Djokovic of the basketball uh, world. Yeah. Um, he was inquiring about Osaka's uh, uh, management uh-huh. sports agency. Uh, went on uh, Twitter and said, uh, "Do you guys take basketball players?" Mm-hmm. And Osaka said, "The door is open to you." So wow. first off, let's talk about. Osaka, what do you think of her uh, breaking it off with IMG to uh, start her own sports agency, a la Roger Federer? I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, I do support and think that's cool. But at the same time, I do think that she's still struggling to balance her tennis career in general. Um, so it it's also a little concerning that she's prioritizing and putting more on her plate before fully mastering comfort and confidence in the tour. So I don't like that part of it, but I do think it's a great business move and it's really cool that she's working with other athletes and, you know, protecting herself in that way. Um, Obviously we know about Jay-Z and his rock nation um, program and stuff like that for athletes. And that's pretty successful, you know? So this will be interesting to see where it goes and how it goes. Do you think, uh, obviously the big question is going to be, is she taking on too much or uh it, the bigger question is is she be getting ready for her next phase in life is she basically just done with tennis and saying you know what i'm just going to become a sportswoman do uh, uh sorry a sports uh um venturist yeah uh what do you think do you think that's the case or is it just something to get the ball moving for the future you know it's tricky because i have heard her say that she does love to play tennis and Maybe there was a period in time during us doing this podcast where she did, you know, maybe lose the love. But I think she has found it again. And I think she said that in a press interview at some point recently. And with all that being said, I really do think that she might have too much on her plate because we haven't seen a successful, complete, full season in a while. It's been a while. And they haven't come up short because of bodily injuries. Right. It's been strictly mental stress-related, panic-related, anxiety-related, and I don't know if all these other ventures are going to support her in the way that I'd like them to. You know, they may actually further stress her out and things like that. So, um, I'm definitely, no matter what her ideals are, whether she's shortening her career on purpose and setting herself up for her next phase, or if she's just adding more to her plate. Either way, I'm not a great fan of it at this exact moment. I'd like to see her master her mentality and then venture out from there. Yes. uh, I mean, it's good that she's getting the ball rolling for the future. Uh, We do know that she is coming back for the French Open after the fiasco that happened last year. So we'll see how that goes for her. But uh, she's at least showing interest on clay. She did have the uh, uh, injury that made her uh, 
lose the match mm-hmm. and she hasn't played since but she says that she's gonna play at the french open and hopefully she does well mm-hmm. so we're gonna move on isnerman news now we know that john isner and diego schwartzman played together isnerman huh yes they made it to the finals of rome not schwartzner people were thinking schwartzner is better than isnerman Isnerman sounds like it's another pro on the tour. <laughs> sounds like an actual player. <laughs> they lost 12-10 in the super uh, tiebreak in the third set. Mm. But they were close to winning. Mm. You said last week that they didn't make a really good team. Mm. They made it to the final. They lost 12-10 in the super tiebreak. Does that change your mind? It definitely opens my mind. I will say that. Big hater. But I still just... I will say this. If there was a surface where it will favor them, clay is that surface. Um, I think that it's going to allow Schwartzman's weaponry to be enhanced a bit for doubles, uh, slowing the game down just a little bit and stuff like that and allowing that ball to sit in the air longer. But I'm not I have no faith in them winning the French Open. I'll just say that now. No faith. Yeah, I don't even know if they're going to play, but uh, Isner, Isner, I was about to say Isnerman, by the way. <laughs> Isner tends not to play doubles in Grand Slams. Yeah. So, but I thought it was an interesting pairing, and uh, I think that they did well. I think they should partner up more often. Yeah. Unless Isner gets Jack Sock, then I'm sorry, Schwartzman, you're There's, uh, you're there's a lot of people right. in line to play with Isner that is superior in doubles specifically to Schwartzman. Right. In my opinion, so. Right. We're going to move on. Uh, Medvedev makes his return. Now, he played today in Geneva, lost to uh, Richard Gasquet. Mm-hmm. But I was shocked to see him on clay because I didn't think he was going to come back this soon. Mm-hmm. And with the Wimbledon ban coming up, uh, I didn't expect him to see him until the summer. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, two questions. So what are your thoughts of him coming back? And second, do you think he came back knowing that he may not play at Wimbledon? You said who? Medvedev. Medvedev, Medvedev. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually watched that match, by the way. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, I was happy to see him back. Um, He is the number two player in the world. I don't know if you plan on bringing up any statistics regarding that win for Gasquet, but I have one for you. Okay, go ahead. Um, With Gasquet beating Medvedev, he now has beaten every seed, every ranking number in the top 100 at least once in his career. Oh, that's a good stat. Every single one from 100 to 1. He's beaten them each ranking at least once after that match happened. So that's pretty impressive. What do you think about that? Is that a is that a longevity thing or does it speak to his level? Oh well I got I got two things. Uh number one is a very impressive stat. Good job. Um You're welcome. Yes, you brought something. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> number two. <laughs> number two, yes. I think that it speaks about his longevity yeah. and how long he's played and the fact that he's been, for the most part, injury-free mm-hmm. and been able to maintain such a decent level for such a long time. Yeah, I think that's what it speaks of for sure. Yeah, I actually really like the way he played on that clay court. He was yes. very patient. I agree. Um, Medvedev made him play a lot of extra balls. As he always does. Yeah, and Gasquet kept a level head and he used the short and deep court... As well as left and right. He, right. he used all the dimensions of the court. So it was a great match to watch. I was very happy with watching it. His kick serve looked great. Right. Um, but yeah, I we've never really talked Gasquet talk here on this podcast. But um, outside of him having a bit too spinny of a forehand, which actually may work in his favor on clay, um, I'm a big fan of his backhand. And yeah. um, 
I always thought that he was smooth overall. Yes. He's very fluid, which is probably why he's been healthy. And we know that um, in the early part of his career, weren't they comparing him to potentially a fetter? Pretty much. You know, they thought the he was... the backhand. Yeah, they thought he was going to be a Hall of Fame athlete. And right. um, I don't think he is. So, you know, it's interesting. I think that... Um, Maybe we should, down the line in the future, maybe bring up one player per episode and maybe just talk about, um, you know, what they've done and what they haven't done. And, you know, it'd be cool to have episodes for all these different athletes that are that don't on get the, mentioned. Yeah, they're on the tail end, you know? Yes. No, no, no. That, that's a good point. Yes. So. Uh, we're going to move on now to a little bit of Nadal news. Mm. Uh, he lost to Shapovalov. He looked in pain in yeah. Rome. Mm. Now, he said that it's not a new injury. He says, I've been playing with an injury for a long time. Yeah. It's not an injury. So, number one, uh, what are your thoughts on him? And do you still count him as a favorite at the French Open? You know, I want to say yes. Um, I do worry about that injury, but I don't know if you recall from his press conference for the Australian Open. But he said then, you know, I was worried about this tournament just like I have been about others in the past. Because of the foot, the same injury, you know, he brought it up back then and he said, you know, this time around, it just happened to work out well. And I'm very happy about that. But there are good days and there are bad days. There's good stretches, there's bad stretches. And it's an injury that we haven't fully mastered or found a a, a resolution for. So I'm glad that the transparency of back then is get, is adding more credence today. You know, it makes you go, okay, so he really did tough it out through that Australian Open, and he wasn't just fluffing things up, you know, to speak on his win. So I will hope that he's able to maintain his level of play the same way he did at the Australian when it matters the most. Right. You know, and he we know he has a very high threshold for pain, and he makes it happen where he has to. So hopefully he understood that, you know, that maybe wasn't a situation where he needed to overdo it. And, you know, he tried still, but he didn't push himself past uh, where he needed to because at the French, I think he will. Yes. Uh, I still think he's uh, top two, three to win the French Open. Yeah. He's played with injuries for a long time. Uh, He even was playing with a wrist injury and won it. Mm -hmm. So everybody counts him out saying, oh, Nadal's not looking good uh, coming off of Australia. Mm -hmm. He steps on clay and then boom. Yeah. He doesn't have its statue in at the French Open for no reason. Right. He's going to bring it. So mm-hmm. I'm not worried at all until he loses. Yeah. And then I'll be okay. It, it wasn't his time. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move on. Does Federer own tennis? Now, um, <clears throat> the USTA wants to sell their portion of the Cincinnati Open, the Western, Southern Western. Hmm. And Roger Federer has shown interest with his. Uh, uh, elite eight agency mm-hmm. to purchase the 93.5 percent equity stake wow. of the southern western from the usta what are your thoughts on fetter potentially owning a masters 1000 i think that fetter puts on an incredible event and i think that this is uh the perfect time for those kind of things for him you know we're talking about osaka with her you know her endeavors and stuff like that and me saying that I felt hers were maybe a little premature, just a little. Uh, I feel like his are exactly on time. You know, this is a great look for him. This is a great look for tennis. And this will bring a lot of attention to the Cincinnati. Um, it makes me want to buy a ticket right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, as we know, with him in Labor Cup, what he did with that event 
which was essentially a Davis Cup slash ATP Cup almost, you know, right. as far as the thematics of it and stuff like that. So I think that his name being assigned to something adds success no matter how monotonous it may seem. If there's something similar within the same date range, he's able to still bring great athletes want to play at Federer events and fans want to see Federer events as well. Correct. So it just adds up to a really great United States tournament for us. So I look forward to that happening. Yes, I think it's a brilliant move. Uh, and uh, hopefully he, he gets it because, as you stated, Labor Cup has been huge. Mm-hmm. So he, he runs a really good tournament and yeah. the teammate. So they do a great job. Now, uh, that's only on the ATP side. We know that the Masters 1000s is a double uh, jointed uh, event with the WTA. Mm-hmm. The WTA is not selling their portion. It's just the ATP. Mm-hmm. So the WTA is owned, uh, they, uh, they own the Cincinnati Open. Uh, Octagon Management owns mm-hmm. uh, the WTA portion of it. Okay. So that is a pretty uh, interesting uh, topic for sure. So now we're going to move on to... Uh, did we talk about Djokovic? Yeah, Djokovic news. Okay. So obviously he won uh, Italy. Uh, he's pretty much back to the contention where he needs to be after that Alcaraz. We mentioned him. Let's go. Mm. After after the Alcaraz uh, loss, mm. he really has stepped it up. Right. Do you think he is the big favorite at the French Open? Um, with these new found you know, clues about the Nadal foot and the condition of it. This, if I'm a betting man, this is something that would definitely be on my radar, seeing that Djokovic is clearly in good health and mentality, and maybe Nadal is on a rough patch with his foot. This is definitely a time to bet on Djokovic. You know, this is going to be a very interesting draw. Obviously, they're going to be on opposite sides of the bracket, so they won't see each other for a while. And, I don't think there's anyone within their specific range of favorability in the French outside of Alcaraz. And Sissipas. Yes and no for me. I feel like Sissipas on the Djokovic side is not going to win. Him on the Nadal side, I don't know why, but I think mentally he has a bit more confidence in that matchup than the Djokovic one because of him coming up short a few times on Clay to Djokovic. So I definitely like the idea of Sissipas facing Novak. On one side of the bracket and Alcaraz facing Nadal on the other side. I think that would be my ideal draw. Honestly, I would rather see the other way. Well, I, if you I want Djokovic to lose, yes. Yes, because uh, speaking of, you just said that you see Sissi Pass beating Nadal more, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, Alcaraz finally beat Nadal. Mm-hmm. And, and he he doesn't really have that, oh, uh, I grew up watching him. Yeah. But there's something there still that Nadal sort of has his number. It's uh, true. In, in Indian Wells, he was hurt, and he still beat him. Yeah. So I'd rather see Alcaraz against Djokovic. Absolutely. And then Sissipas against Nadal. Yeah, you'd have two wars there. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens with the draws, but that's what I would like to see for sure. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about a little bit of stats. These are really good stats. Mm-hmm. Since 2005, Djokovic and Nadal have made it to the final of Rome each year so one of those two players has always mm. been in the final since 2005 that's insane so those two have ruled italy mm-hmm. number two uh djokovic has 19 seasons in a row 
with at least sorry 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 17 seasons in a row with at least one title only nadal has more mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that stat about djokovic completely unsurprised by that because even before he really showed his dominance on the tour he was still number three locked in gatekeeping waiting for his chance to become one or two so that's that makes perfect sense to me and i think that he's gonna take that past 20 for sure he's going to keep going for a very long time um the Djokovic we're seeing now is a slam contender in every slam we haven't seen that period in his career where he becomes kind of just a guaranteed 500 winner which is down the road it's gonna happen so I expect him to have a lot of longevity with that record and Nadal is right there Federer had that record for a while until you know the injuries and the long breaks but he was right there with them as well so between the three of them, they were always guaranteed a tournament a year to me. Yes. Murray included in that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And Nadal, as we just said, he finds a way even with his injury. So yeah. I expect him, uh, unless he stops playing, yeah. for him to at least win one title a year for sure. Absolutely. Now, here's a very impressive one. Uh, Djokovic also reached with his victory, 1,000 victories in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nadal has 1,051. Lando has 1,068. Federer has 1,251, and then Connors played until 40-something. Mm-hmm. He has 1,274. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see Djokovic getting to 1,100 at least by the time his career is over? Um, I'll say yes. I'll say yes. I do expect him to at least get to 1,100. I was anticipating Federer coming back and attempting to close that last little gap he has with Jimmy Connors. Um, with the way his health has been, I'm uncertain but if he can come back and be at least 70%, I will anticipate him taking that record at least temporarily. Yes. At the very least. Right. And as long as Djokovic doesn't stop playing, maybe he can surpass it. Yeah. And Nadal, same thing. If he uh, manages his uh, injury, he'll surpass it as well, in mm-hmm. my view, for sure. Yeah. Uh, now the last topic, which is more drama with uh, the England situation. Mm. Now, the ATP said that uh, the tournament in Queens, Eastbourne, uh, the ATP said that they will count with points. Uh, unlike Wimbledon, that supposedly that they're still debating about Wimbledon not having points. Mm-hmm. The WTA said the same thing, that uh, they're going to carry the points as well. Mm-hmm. Now the WTA is undecided about not counting points at Wimbledon, mm-hmm. whereas the ATP are still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it's going to be interesting. So how many events is that? Uh, there's at least two, three events, uh, on grass before Wimbledon yeah. uh, in England. This, this almost gives me COVID vibes of, you know, how, how inaccurate rankings can become when the point structuring doesn't truly represent all the active players on the tour. Um, it can screw up events that are not partaking in this process. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see what the after effects are if we start seeing people's rankings changing without their skill sets or performance changing and how that may put players at disadvantages who go against these lesser seeds who are still playing at a high level. You know, now we see a Nadal or Djokovic getting, you know, someone kind of migrated into their bracket for the semis or quarters that they shouldn't get. Stuff like that. You know, this can screw up a lot of third round to quarter round, quarterfinal yes. brackets very easily. Right. Um, so I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it. I, I want things to stay accurate. Yeah. Now, uh, now uh, correction about last week. Sabalenka mm-hmm. 
made it to the semifinals of Wimbledon. Okay. She lost to Pliskova. So mm-hmm. it was Brody versus Pliskova. Mm-hmm. But again, as I stated last week, I feel really bad for Sabalenka, especially if she can't defend those points. That's a lot of points. And she is struggling at this moment yeah. with her serve and everything else. So she could drop badly yeah. uh, to 7-8 in the world if she can't defend those points. Yeah. So I, I feel really bad for her. I hope uh, the WTA and ATP come to a conclusion. And hopefully, to tell you the truth, uh, that they don't uh, have points at Wimbledon yeah. because that'd be super unfair in yeah. my opinion so with that we conclude this episode and I hope you guys were entertained we will see you next week for episode 100